One day, Jerry Roth woke up and realized he had 4,000 hats. I have no idea. I honestly don't. I just, all of a sudden, I just started going to yard sales and collecting them and hanging them up there at home. In 2006, Jerry was almost 70 and recently retired. He left Arizona to settle down in his hometown of Forest, Illinois. It's a small town, the kind that's quiet and where most people know each other. But it was a little too quiet for Jerry. He just had more free time than he knew what to do with. But one day, seemingly out of the blue, he decided to start collecting baseball hats. One hat picked up here and there, quickly became a dozen, and then several dozen, and then a hundred. Once the people of Forest got word that Jerry had picked up a new hobby, they started dropping off hats they were trying to get rid of. And it got a little out of control. (laughs) The hats were crowding his garage. He needed more space. Plus, he wanted to let visitors peruse his collection without having to open up his home. Lucky for him, there was an abandoned church nearby that was looking for a new owner. I'm Gabby Gladney, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, I take a tour of Jerry's Hat Museum, guided by Jerry himself. He walks me through how his retirement pastime snowballed into an eclectic collection that holds a special place in the heart of his hometown. More after this. I live in Chicago, which is about a two and a half hour drive from Forest, Illinois. I don't own a car because I don't love driving, but lucky for me, my boyfriend Kevin was also very interested in seeing the Holy Hat Church for himself. Do you mind if I take pictures there? On the outside, Jerry's Hat Museum, which is the official name, looks like any church you would find in a small town. A white wood paneled exterior with tall steeples painted green to match the big double doors. If it wasn't for the plain white sign on the lawn announcing the Hat Museum, I would have thought I was arriving for Bible study. You have a lot of tours today, or? You're the only ones today. Oh, okay. Wow. (laughs) When you walk in, it's hard not to be awestruck. Immediately, you're confronted with thousands and thousands of hats that line the walls from floor to ceiling. Hats from sports teams, hats with political slogans, hats from marathons, from family reunions, from practically every country you could think of. Honestly, this may have been the moment I realized that people will put anything on a hat. Because there's no furniture, no pews or partitions, the church feels wide open making its hat-filled walls even more dramatic. It was a church of God, and I tried to kind of preserve this part. Mm -hmm. It's all original stuff back in 1905, this Mm -hmm. building was built. The only thing that's not original is the piano and the organ. That came from the Catholic church that closed. There's a tall wooden cross that hangs in front of gorgeous stained glass windows at the back of the space. The light shining through the stained glass makes it seem like Jerry's collection had been ordained. But when Jerry found the building, it was closer to a dump than a sanctuary. I had to redo everything. New wiring, new roof, new drywall. That was down to the studs in there. And the new flooring, 
everything's just about new in here. New furnace, replaced the glass windows, fixed the foundation. It was a mess. The guy that owned this, he collected stuff too. And he wanted to get rid of it, and nobody wanted it, but well, it was so bad a shape, so mm -hmm. I gave him a dollar, offered him a dollar. For this building? And a lot. With the help of some family members and local volunteers, he was able to transform the church in just six months. Then, they got to work transferring Jerry's huge collection. Each hat was hung up by hand, stapled into the wall. And I'm on my 15th staple gun. You're the office supplies' favorite person, the office <laughs> supply store. Ace Hardware and Home Depot and Menards and mm -hmm, Lowe's, mm -hmm. wherever I happen to be. <laughs> there are, of course, millions of hats in the world and hundreds of different styles. Because of that, even a collector like Jerry has to have limits to avoid being overwhelmed. I don't hang hats that don't have a logo on it. It's got to be a baseball-style hat. Okay. I do have a few oddballs. The oddballs are the crowd favorites, and they technically break the rules. I saw a cowboy hat and a few church lady hats that were sort of an homage to the building's original purpose. The most popular novelty hat is one with a pair of Hanes underwear attached to a brim, emblazoned with the words, butthead. What started as a collection of 4,000 has since grown to, at the time of my visit, exactly 16,264. That's enough hats to cover about two and a half miles of road if you place them all brim to brim. That's almost the entire length of the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And Jerry's not out garage sale hunting anymore. At this point, do you have to search that hard, or people just I, come I by, drop? I quit searching. Okay, they just find you now. Yeah, and because I'm getting full. He considered stopping, but the goalposts have continued to move as the hats strengthen their hold on Jerry. I told everybody, when I get to 15,000 hats, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> this guy was helping me, and he said, this should be about 15,000, Jerry. I said, well, let's just keep going. One thing about Jerry's Hat Museum is that it's kind of a misnomer. Don't get me wrong, obviously there are plenty of hats. But it's also sort of a misdirect, as what lies in the church's basement goes well beyond baseball caps. I'll show you when I get down there what I started with. I'm just there. There's also thousands and thousands of pens and pencils. Jerry shows me a plank of wood that's a little more than a foot long. I found this hanging in an antique store. The wood has string down the middle, stapled into tiny loops. It was a pen holder that someone had tired of. And I just had it hanging down here. And a year later, this room is about full. Similar to how he got started with hat collecting, there wasn't really a rhyme or reason for the beginnings of his pen collection. The plank presented space, an opportunity to be filled, and over time, he did, although he had a lot of help from one particular person. A friend of mine called me and said, I see you're collecting pens. And I said, well, not really, but I'll take some. <laughs> he said, well, I'm going to Iowa. This guy out there has been collecting all his life. I don't know if he's selling, giving them away or what. About a week later, I get a call, you home? Yeah. He backed his SUV up. I would say it was at least 7,000 pounds. Just <sighs> this middle row all the way around to about the doorway, past the doorway, there's all his stuff. Wow. 
So, and he and just people was... People just found out. They just started bringing me pens by the thousands. At the time of my visit, there were exactly 32,570 pens and pencils on display, all on plank boards, just like the one he found in the antique store. And there's more, smaller collections that are just beginning. I didn't collect matchbook covers. Now I got about two or three. Okay. Display cases, and I got a bunch of bottle openers and can openers and stuff. I didn't collect yardsticks. Now I got about a hundred. <laughs> Another main staple of the basement collection is old memorabilia from the town. When his hat and pin collection continued to grow and grow, his neighbors and friends began to trust him with more things that they couldn't justify keeping around their own houses. The other people hear about it. They call me, do you want this? We used to have a, our school used to be FSW, four-strong wing, then consolidated. Mm. So I got a lot of old uniforms and stuff. There's old equipment from when Forrest was a farming town. There's yearbooks from every decade since the 1920s. There's each iteration of the old high school's sports team uniforms and a replica of the school that has since been closed. It's a lot of stuff. I got records that go back to 1800s. Mm. So, and picture books from the schools, you know, and all that stuff, just old stuff. I got the Forest 1933 phone book. (laughs) When asked if there's anything he won't collect, the answer is simple. Probably not. I was shocked to learn that, despite the last decade of his life being spent collecting them and talking about them, Jerry doesn't actually like to wear hats all that much. When's the last time you think you wore a hat? (laughs) Last time I painted. (laughs) When I paint, I usually wear one. Once in a while, I'll wear one if I'm mowing Mm -hmm. and it's windy, I might put a hat on. I got one sitting on my tractor, and (laughs) normally I don't wear a hat at all. I see. I don't usually carry a pen either. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking them, like, I borrow a pen, and they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> that really confused me, because I didn't understand what about hats and pens and collecting interested him. But I think the answer, and Jerry's outlook on his hobby, is simple. For Jerry, the museum upkeep and collecting keeps him busy, gives him something to do without becoming a bored retiree. He's also providing a service to the town, giving neighbors a way to memorialize items they no longer had use for, but couldn't bear to just throw away. So you're kind of like re- the record keeper of yeah, what's going on here. Yeah, a lot of here. people thank me, said, I'm glad you're here, you can save all this stuff. There's no plans to stop or even slow down. If one day soon he does run out of space in the church, he also owns the small shed next to it. And when he's not around to take care of his collection anymore, well, he has a plan for that too. What happens when you're no longer here and what to do with your it collection? It is willed to the Historical Society okay. of Okay, that definitely makes sense. If you're interested in visiting Jerry's Hat Museum for yourself, take a trip to Forest, Illinois. It's about a two hour drive outside of Chicago. And make sure you bring a hat as an offering. This episode was produced by Gabby Gladney. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura 
and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Camille Stanley, Chris Naka, Doug Baldinger, Johanna Mayer, Manolo Morales, Amanda McGowan, Baudelaire. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you soon.